Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Year in Review podcast. Not the Week in Review, Year in Review. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with both of my regular co-hosts, Editor-in-Chief Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill. Hey, Danny. Happy to be here. And our international reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. How are you, Zofia? Yeah, great. Thank you. It's good to have the whole gang together. It's usually just me and one of you, and now we're all here. So thanks for being here. <laughs> the gang's here. all here. <laughs> um, we're going to structure this a little bit like a typical Week in Review podcast, but instead of reviewing things from the last week, we'll be reviewing things from the last 12 months. 2023 was a crazy year. There was so much stuff happening. There was geopolitical conflict. There were bankruptcies and acquisitions and relaunches and it was kind of the full, the first fully like post-pandemic year for a lot of brands, uh, a lot of companies. Um, we're going to talk about all the IPOs and and going public that happened this year. We'll talk about TikTok shop and social commerce. We'll talk about the very bad year that luxury had. We'll talk about the rise of AI as the new ultra hype technology that will solve all our problems and lead us into utopia. And then we saw a ton of brands replace their creative directors. So we'll talk about that too. Yeah, so a lot to get through. Let's let's go quick. I, I want to make sure we all get to share our thoughts on everything. Um, let's start with IPA. I, I said IPAs. Let's start with an IPA. Um, <laughs> let's start with IPOs. So the last couple of years, I wrote a briefing about this recently. The last couple of years has been pretty quiet on the, the public uh, market, on the IPO market for fashion. And then um, just in the last year, there was Birkenstock, there was Shein, um, there's rumors that Viore, Golden Goose, and Skims are all going to go public soon, too. Um, it seems like there's there was some sort of shift in the air in the last year where some fashion companies felt more comfortable going public. I think it seems like it mostly has been bad for them. I don't really know why they are feeling like they want to go public now when investors seem really skittish and you know people are falling apart. I don't know. That seems like a bad move to me, but uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? How about Jill? Do you want to start? I'm with you. I was using um, Lan Vaughn as kind of a case study um, yes. because um, they went public in December 2022. And you're right. It was the first one that had happened since uh, December 2021 with uh, Xenia. But the changes that have happened since, Joanne Chang, Lan Vaughn Group's chairman mm -hmm. and CEO, she stepped down this month. Lan Vaughn replaced their creative director. Well, has not replaced. The creative director has stepped down. They have brought on they, they Future. They lost a creative director and have not replaced them. Exactly. They brought right. on Future and this whole concept of Lan Von Lab. They have a new Sergio Rossi CEO, which is under the umbrella. They have a new creative director at Wolford. And they're still, like, they just reported for the first half of 2023, 6.4% uh, growth, which is not bad, but it's not. It's slowed growth. And Lan Von is dragging the company down. So anyway, back in the day, December 2022, Joanne Chang was telling me, very good to Glossy, gave us a lot of time, um, that she's focused on, she's not focused on short-term immediate growth. She's fo focused on the long-term. She said, we are not a short-sighted management team that wants to drive short-term value. But just what you were saying with investors being skittish and seeing that as a, a red flag or a warning sign that that expedited growth isn't maintained across luxury, including Lanvon. Um, and, and they're, I don't know, they're I, everybody's freaking out. Basically, <laughs> I think everybody within the company is seeing maybe the stocks aren't doing what they were do supposed to do or expected to do. But the, the amount of change that's happened in 12 months is wild. So I just think that brands that go there, you have to expect 
I don't know, the the ups and downs. And anyway, what do you guys think? I'm, I'm taking over. No, that's okay. I, I'm just going to say something real quick and then I'll toss it to you, Zofia. It does seem like now is the exact time that you don't want investors looking over your shoulder and seeing, you know, whatever whatever your performance dips are, especially in luxury, which we'll talk about later, has had a big slowdown this year. This is exactly the time where I would not want to have all of my stuff reported quarterly and torn apart by reporters like me. Um, but, you know, we'll talk more about Farfetch too, because it just came out this morning that we're recording it, that they were acquired. Um, but there was talk the last month of them maybe going private uh, soon because they've got like a billion dollars in debt and wanted to just handle that sort of out of the eyes of the investors who will, you know, can smell weakness a mile away. So anyway, it seems like a weird time for brands to be going into that market for the first time. Sophia, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that, you know, IPOs kind of have, there's like multiple reasons why a company might decide to go with an IPO. And I think sometimes, you know, it could be the original founders wanting to cash out. Um, a lot of the times I think it's done for like publicity. Um, so a lot of these companies like Viore, Golden Goose, I think both of those don't have maybe as much of an international consumer base. And I'm wondering if they're maybe using that to expand it through a possible IPO. Um, I mean, for, for Shein, I, I'm not quite sure what the reason would be for an IPO, but again, it's kind of just getting more market, um, acquiring kind of more of the majority there. Um, I think for Skims as well, it might just be expanding into new areas or potentially just getting more publicity on that front. So I think that it's almost just like a, a vehicle for further kind of revenue growth um, rather than anything which would actually contribute to stock going up or like market value going up in a big way. Yeah, it, it can sort of be like a cash infusion if you just need cash like very quickly. Um, you know, that that could be one reason to do it. Um, and then the other thing is, I, I again, like a lot of the brands that do go public, you often see that it's not great for them in the long run or even in the short run sometimes. Like Birkenstock went public and their stock immediately dropped. I don't remember how much, how many percentage points, but it was like not a good first day of trading for them. Um, and that doesn't set a good precedent for the rest of your time as a public company. So I, I don't know, it feels like there's a lot of risks involved, even if there are some benefits too. Um, Jill, any other thoughts on IPO before we move on? No, I'm with you. It'll be interesting to see what happens next year uh, with Skims. I do, I mean, there's much talk about them going there. Um, Viore, Golden Goose. Um, we'll see, which would, that would mean like boom, boom, boom. A lot of expedited moves there compared to the last couple of years. And whether that fares well for the company, I'm sure everybody has good reason. <laughs> uh, Zofia listed some, listed many. You're so right. Yeah. And just on that front, like with Birkenstock, like they're up nine points right now um, in terms of share price. So they've been slowly, steadily growing. So I think it depends on the company. Sometimes even if there's an initial dip, like it can raise later on. Um, cool. Okay. Let's move on to our second topic, which is uh, the rise of social commerce and TikTok shop in particular, which launched in the US in September. I believe it had been around for quite a while outside the US, but it launched in the US in September. Um, we've written about it a couple of times. There have been, uh, especially a lot of beauty brands, it seems like using it, like Tarte. Um, but it got a lot of play around Black Friday and Cyber Monday. I think there's like 200,000 sellers on TikTok shop in the US and 100,000 creators using it uh, for live streaming. So to me, like, you know, I get why people want to combine 
shopping and social. Like I think it's it makes sense for those two to go together. But specifically on TikTok shop, my my take on it was I think that they are running into the same problem that a lot of like big marketplace kind of uh, you know platforms have, which is they're incentivized to have as much stuff on there as possible and just as many transactions happening as possible. And there's already been a couple articles about just the amount of shady, sketchy, counterfeit, weird, you know, stuff that is sold on TikTok shop. And I think something like that can sort of damage the prestige of it. I mean, I don't know how much prestige you have, but you know what I mean? It makes it feel a little bit more of like the Wild West, which is maybe good for TikTok because, you know, as long as there's tons of people buying and selling stuff, it's a success. But I, I don't know. It's kind of the same with Amazon, how like Amazon has tons of counterfeit stuff on there and that's been a problem forever. And they always say that they're, you know, doing more about it, but it's kind of just still an ongoing thing. So I see that happening with TikTok shop too. Zofia, do you want to share some thoughts on social commerce? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I've spoken to some of the sellers um, and some of the managers of those brands um, on TikTok shop. And although they're saying that TikTok is cracking down on a lot of these kind of um, false sellers, it's very easy to create a listing um, and also just to create a new account. So it's almost as easy to shut it down as it is to create one and it just um, constantly kind of reappears. So it's very hard to kind of address that problem in a wider scale where, you know, a brand can trust that only its products are available on TikTok shop. And I think that that might be a reason why a lot of brands still haven't gone on there. Um, I believe Benefit is one of the brands that has kind of come onto um, the platform um, and has had a lot of success there. So I think it just depends on what kind of products is it selling um, and whether the brand can, can kind of prove or authenticate its own products. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk around authenticating accounts um, over like the last year on multiple platforms, whether that's Twitter or Instagram, you know, authentication is now added as kind of like a service. And I'm wondering if TikTok shop is also going to be adding something like that in to authenticate the brands that it joins up with. Yeah, that's a, that's a great prediction. Um, Jill. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, the rise of social commerce is just about what we hear all day in and day out about meeting the customer where they are. There's a lot of talk about moving to kind of everywhere shopping and facilitating some sort of a commerce opportunity wherever the customer is spending their time. Um, it's been slow to catch on. And so TikTok shop has is showing kind of new hope for the social commerce opportunity um, at the recent beauty summit. Flip was mentioned time and time again. That's a different uh, platform where um, kind of a social commerce is happening. Um, but also TikTok shop, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm on it now. It's clearly taking off. Like I'm skimming, but also it, it's making for like content that to me seems inauthentic. Everybody is selling something. And so it's not, it's like, do you actually like this or are you, do you just want to make a, a dime? So it's been, it's been a squishy kind of experience online. It's, it's kind of a turnoff to me, I'm sure for the average American scroller, um, it hasn't, they're not used to it um, as much, but you know, we just had a story go live today about like Beekman 1802. They they sold a million, a million dollars worth of products in an hour, and this was on QVC, so that like HSN. So live streaming is nothing new. It's but now it's coming to. It makes sense for it to come through where there's video short short form form videos taking off on um on TikTok more so than like a still image like. 
this is probably why every like it makes sense for everybody to be shopping mm-hmm. where there's video. Um, anyway, more so than mm-hmm. than not or than for an, a still image on Instagram. But I, I would address uh, want to point everybody to Aubrey Pajano's um, op-ed that she did for Glossy this year because like to take kind of a I don't know a different take on it or even put a red flag on this concept. Um, she wrote about how the real TikTok threat is in shops and cross-border commerce. And it was basically about like how these thriving American companies, Google, Facebook, Instagram, and Amazon are all like uh, building their empires on slinging Chinese goods. And now TikTok is coming in um, and really taking over mm-hmm. some of like where marketplaces in America have built their businesses. Right now, they're gaining a lot of big brands, um, I guess, commerce sales um, by subsidizing discounts. They're saying, come here, offer 50% off, we'll pay that difference, and you just get, you know, the glory, the money. Um, So who wouldn't do that? They're really um, going at it hard. So um, I think it's kind of dangerous, but it's interesting. And if I was a brand, I'd probably be playing there, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you raise a good point about um, how it, the the integration of shopping with social media also makes it so is it is everyone just trying to sell me something like I think that's a good microcosm of like social media in general. And, and this, you know, this is getting off topic a little bit, but like part of the reason I have like tried to pull away from like Instagram or, or TikTok is it's like I'm, I feel like if I want to see something from my friends, it's buried under like ads and links to the shop and like content creators who I don't even follow who are showing up some for some reason and like showing off products and stuff. I just think that it's very easy to tip over the line where the platform becomes unusable if that's the the if that's what's happening. Like if every single post you see is an ad for something, uh, either an explicit ad or an uh, implicit ad. Um, I don't know. That's just is not good for user experience, you know? Agree. It's yeah, bleh, it's gross. <laughs> Um, and speaking of Instagram, one other one other thing to say about this is, so Instagram removed the shop tab from their the home screen of Instagram earlier this year, which I thought was an interesting choice. But as far as I can tell, Instagram shop is still around. But like, how do you get to it? I can't find it in the app. Is it like, I feel like it's buried. I don't know. How do you even get there? I mean, the only way that I use Instagram to shop is like if I know that I want to maybe see... And so a piece that I like in context, somebody wearing it, different people styling it or something to that. Anyway, the fact of the matter is I'll go on a brand, I'll go on their shop and see what kind of directly to a brand. I don't know that I'm shopping it otherwise or even interested otherwise. How about you, Sophia? Yeah, I'm the same. It's it's literally just going onto a brand and seeing what they have that's available on shop and then saving it. I think that honestly, there's a lot of brand opportunity and like the saved aspect. Like I keep saying this to everyone that um, Instagram shop, if it just lasted another, you know, year or so, it probably would have hit it off because it kind of works on the same way that Pinterest does with pins. And I know a lot of people Mm -hmm. who've got hundreds of things now in their saved tabs um, on Instagram, just like, looking through recommendations or like products they like like it's a lot more of an organic kind of place for discovery than it used to be and I find that a lot of like niche brands are also more um 
okay to advertise on Instagram and actually come up in my recommendations. So that's been quite like useful. So yeah, I don't know, maybe they'll relaunch it. That would be quite fun. That's a really good yeah. point. I remember doing a story a long time ago uh, with preteens and they were all talking about how they use Instagram and they went on and on about the save function feature. And I'm like, I don't know that I've ever saved anything, but it, they're like, this is a big thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, I use it all the time. I, I still think I, it's just like, I don't know, like, it's just, it crosses boundaries from Pinterest for me. Like, I just end up saving a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, let's move on and talk about luxury. So for me, this was, you know, we touched on this already a little bit. But for me, this was maybe one of the bigger stories of the year and something we covered a ton. Um, I think for several years now, luxury companies and the big conglomerates all felt a little bit invulnerable. Um, even when everyone else was struggling, even in the midst of like the pandemic, you know, the luxury brands were always growing. They were, the sales were always going up. Um, this year was the first year in a little while that that was not happening. Um, there was a Barclays report that showed spending on luxury goods was down 15% last month. And, you know, if you go on Glossy and search luxury, you'll see we wrote about a ton of different companies like Caring and Saks Fifth Avenue and uh, all in the luxury space who either had their sales slow down a lot or outright decline. Um, Farfetch, again, as I mentioned, this th this is happening this morning, like right before we recorded this, uh, announced that they were sold um, to a South Korean company called Kupang for $500 million. Um, they just have been struggling a lot, as have a lot of other luxury companies. So I don't know. I, I'm, there's a lot of, you know, uh, diagnoses about why this is happening. I think they all felt a little bit invincible because, you know, their customer is very wealthy and in insulated from a lot of the problems happening like inflation, um, but they're not completely insulated. And they also have a lot of aspirational customers who maybe are not buying Chanel every single day, but they're they're buying luxury semi-regularly and then now they're not anymore. So I don't know, there's a couple of different reasons why that could be happening. Um, Jill, what do you think of, we talked about it a ton, I feel like in the last year, you and me. We have. I mean, I feel like it's just a normalization. Everybody changed how they shop during the pandemic. And and those that were better off that were, um, I guess, I don't know, more stable because they are at the ultra high net worth customer, um, they continued to shop and they shopped big and everybody was <laughs> home. And I, I there was just different activity that happened. I feel like it's a normalization um, compared to what we've been seeing in the last three years. And the number that everybody are, keeps referencing in, in regard to this is LVMH's recent earnings. Um, because again, their stocks plummeted. I think it was the biggest drop in two years. And, and it wasn't a decline in sales. They reported revenue growth of 9% year over year, which compared to 17% the, the, the quarter prior. Um, but they're really like a bellwether for the industry. They're they their stocks client declined, but also Caring's did. I think Burberry's did uh, the same day. So I don't know. China is not bouncing back like everybody thought it would. Um, U.S. sales, U.S. spending is is going down. Um, so you know everybody's saying what's to come. I think it's just like we're stabilizing and everybody can calm down. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's exactly like that, that the luxury market is kind of normalized. Um, a lot of the kind of same products that were sold, you know, five years ago is still being sold today. I think like with luxury, sometimes there's still a bit of a thirst for like newness. I feel like the more 
crossovers that there have been between like art and luxury are doing really well but the products that you know were previously around are not doing quite as well and I think that maybe that's down to strategy the one thing I remember from one of the LVMH earnings was that their marketing spend had gone up quite a bit um, and then I think the results goes to show that maybe that wasn't quite the best investment that maybe that's not where they should be doing um, the most kind of investment there um, and I'm wondering in terms of product whether there just needs to be more newness and more kind of interest in that area and I feel like yeah for, for me like that luxury and art space seems to be under um, undervalued and underused and I'm wondering if that's what's going to be what kind of buoys luxury up a little bit next year. I remember LVMH saying uh our marketing spend got a little out of hand. We're going to pull back. And then the next day they were like, we are the title sponsor for the Olympics. <laughs> and then like the next day they were like the title sponsor for, I don't know, Formula One or some other big, big mm. thing. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> we'll see. Well, the, the I definitely think that's part of it is that the luxury brands and the luxury companies love to spend, um, you know, uh, I was, who just made a big acquisition? I'm forgetting what I was going to say. Well, Farfetch just spent a ton of money to buy a uh, net a porte and then that was, this was a terrible <laughs> timing for that because then people uh, stopped spending right around the same time they were spending so much money on it. I feel like the luxury brands are, you know, they're spending a ton of money and they've acquired their competitors and who am I? Oh, I remember Rolex bought Bucherer this year and Rolex is doing well, but I just think it's a, another example of the luxury brands throw money around, you know, all the time. And, and, uh, sometimes if that coincides with a downturn in your category, I mean, that's, that's bad timing. So, um, any other thoughts on luxury before we move on? I think one more thing on my end is that I yep. think that it's almost like a, a kind of sneaky, uh, comeuppance for next year is is that rise of secondhand and how that's going to be affecting luxury. I think that mm -hmm. a lot of brands are still a little bit unaware of how much that market is expanding. And especially with luxury goods, like there's so many marketplaces for luxury handbags and like original pieces from the 80s. Like it's something that I think a lot of brands still haven't kind of fully realized the like appeal of that. And they might be losing some of that um, I guess that luxury name association by, you know, just simply seeing that other products are available elsewhere. And yeah, market share if people are trading down. That's such a good point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, cool. Okay, let's move on to AI and the rise of AI and specifically generative AI, um, which Zofia, we just talked about this on the podcast last week, so we don't have to spend too much time on it, but definitely feels like uh, NFTs are done, AI is in. It's like feels like the hype train has moved on to a new technology. Um, Zofia, you know my opinion, which is that I'm always kind of skeptical of stuff like this, but you successfully convinced me last week that there are some legit use cases beyond just like making a really terrible looking picture of like an anime girl or something, which is what it seems like a lot of AI <laughs> guys are using it for. Um, but yeah, it feels like uh, this was a big year for that. Um, everyone was obsessed with chat GPT. Every tech company like Google and Microsoft was coming up with their own version. Um, and every fashion brand was, you know, saying some vague things about how we're going to use AI in, in our operations and our design and, and our future. Um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly where it's going to go from here. I, I wonder if similar to Web3 and, and NFT stuff, there will be like a huge craze and then all the like kind of 
fluff will burn away and when it doesn't really go anywhere, but then the actual useful, you know, uses will stick around. I'm not sure. Um, Zofia, you, I think, are probably the most knowledgeable of the three of us about this topic. And again, I know we just talked about it, but can you reiterate some of your points from last week about why, you know, what are some of the uses that are actually useful of of AI for, for fashion? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I think that obviously this year has been such a, a growth of it in terms of the buzzword, but like large scale land, language models, which is what AI is based on, um, have been around for like a lot longer and a lot of companies have been using them already. I think it's just not to that generative level, which is what like this year has been about. And generative AI just means that, you know, you can create content and copy and automate a lot of functions, which previously were done by people, um, which, you know, again, like that could potentially endanger jobs, but on the other hand, create a lot of efficiencies for brands. Um, so in terms of, especially with creating content, how many brands need to create, you know, so much content just to stay on top of, you know, their marketing and reaching out to their customer and kind of playing into all of the different trends that happen throughout the year, like that could be very useful. Um, but also just on the supply chain side, you know, managing huge amounts of data on all of the products that are being sold, all of the products that are being manufactured and what's coming back as well, because obviously returns are a big issue um, and AI can be used to streamline that. It's also just creating a lot of kind of new manufacturing models where on-demand um, and AI together are actually creating kind of better production models where there's less returns or even no returns sometimes. Um, and then a product that people actually want because they're able to customize um, what they're getting through, you know, an AI tool, for example, that lets them pick like a sleeve length, for example. Like something like that really makes for a much more interesting kind of personalized product that a lot of people are looking for like they just don't want the same thing that everyone else is wearing um, and I think AI could be used to create that more personalized experience and then there's obviously like chatbots and things like that but they're kind of more easy use cases like it's just ways to help people out on e-com um, so yeah I think that that's most of the kind of big ones there. Yeah, Zofia wrote a really great story this this year, breaking it down. It has subtitle subheads. It's very easy to read, but it was just like how fashion brands are using generative AI. Um, I would recommend it. And I'm glad we're aligned, Zofia, because you are the expert. But I was thinking I we are planning a potential AI event for next year. And I was like, what would Glossy's uh, focus be if it was like a digital wide um, event. And I defined like design and trend forecasting, e-commerce personalization, digital marketing. Uh, this year in terms of the hoopla around AI, we all we talked a lot about the Jacques Mousse ads and those ads that are very like, is it real? Is it not? That's caught on by, I don't know, coach. Like, all the big brands are investing in these, um, I don't know what they're called, digital artists. But um, anyway, these these concepts and they get a lot of traction right now because they're so new and fun on social, but they may become like, I don't know, passe or something in the year ahead. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I I'm with you. I don't feel like this isn't, is going anywhere. I feel like it's a runaway train, which is kind of scary. Like what's going to happen mm -hmm. with a lot of jobs that are, re um, related. Um, right now it's been being seen as like a supplement to a lot of jobs. Um, but at the same time, I'm seeing kind of a pushback, which tells me maybe 
maybe there's hope for us yet with um, the embrace of nostalgia and like love for all things analog, like even like record players and like an actual camera instead of a phone. Like anyway, there's some gravitation toward things that are not so (laughs) high tech um, that I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I I mean, I think that the human side of it is very important. And speaking of, you know, jobs, I think one area of fashion that could be impacted for sure is the fashion media. Um, You know, I'm I'm sure you guys saw that story about Sports Illustrated a month or two ago had, uh, without telling anybody, had been using like AI generated articles with like fake bylines of fake reporters who don't exist. And of course, the articles were terrible and like poorly written and also plagiarized. And then when they got called out on it, they just deleted everything and like didn't acknowledge it. Fashion magazines out there, don't do this. <laughs> don't do that. No. You can just, there are so many talented standards. There are no. so many talented writers out there. And and like sort of actually, it's sort of similar to what we were saying with social media. Like when it's all just taken over by ads and selling you stuff, like it becomes like not valuable. It's just like useless. And I feel that way with, you know, I'm obviously selfishly, protective of writing as a profession because that's what I do. But like, if I'm going to stop reading a a publication, if all the articles are like AI junk, that's like poorly written and not any original reporting, like no one's going to pay for that. Like it, it's great for a content mill that where you're just like posting 500 stories a day and like gaming Google ads to make some money, but it's not like no one's going to be signing up to read AI generated you know, trash like that. They want real insights. Like that's one thing, like I can't use AI to write my stories because like I talk to people, I interview people. I'm not just like pulling stuff from the internet, which is, you know, like I have to do that part myself. And then, and then like I could plug the quotes in and have the AI write it. But at that point, I might as well just write it myself, which is what I do. So (laughs) anyway, I'm trying not to go on a huge rant about this, but I definitely think like, There are definitely fashion jobs, both in journalism, you know, fashion media, but also copywriters and stuff like that, that I I think are at risk of being replaced with a poor facsimile. Like an SEO writer. Uh, Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Which is not what we do here at Glossy. We only have high quality original content. That takes us all a lot of time and effort to do. And and I think I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> I like um, this ad. Check us out at Glossy.co. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to sell you on a Glossy.co subscription. Um, okay. And then let's move to our last topic. Um, and then after that, we'll get into some predictions. Um, but our last topic is about the creative director shuffle that happened this year. Um, I wrote a whole briefing about this, which I can link in the description of this episode. Um, but so many brands lost uh, their creative directors or replaced them. Some of them lost their creative directors and didn't replace them, like Lamvon, which you mentioned, Joe. But I mean, just the short list is Moschino, Todd's, Givenchy, Alexander McQueen, and Gucci all either had new creative directors or lost their old creative directors this year. It just was like a total reset in a lot of ways. So I wrote a whole briefing about this. There's a lot of reasons. I think one big one is just, uh, well, two two reasons is the brands, I think, are often giving these creative directors a shorter uh, time to prove themselves. And if they, if it's not working out in the first season or two, it's like, you're out. You, 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 you know, you're not giving us the results we want and they replace them. The other thing is bringing in a new person is a good excuse to like be back in the news, basically. It's good publicity and buzz. It's like, a fresh start, and then people are like interested. It's like someone's first collection 
is always going to pique a little more interest than somebody's fourth collection or something, you know? So I think that is part of it as well. Um, Zofia, what do you think is driving it? Any other reasons that I missed? I mean, I think that, no, those two reasons are definitely the biggest ones, especially right now, you know, when brands are trying to drive as much interest and kind of publicity in the brands, especially if it's, you know, a brand that maybe isn't kind of typically in the media and in the news cycle. I think having that new creative director, especially if they're younger or more interesting or if they're more diverse than their previous ones, like that is something that could drive a, a whole new kind of direction for the brand and that usually creates a lot of interest and buzz um whether that translates to you know long-term sales like not sure um but I think that 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 is also you know very kind of short-term strategy I'm not the biggest fan of it I think that brands a lot of the time can get better over time um you know fine wine and all um so I think that maybe it's 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 a bit of a short-term strategy just to to try and drive you know, more interest in buzz rather than kind of thinking about it long term. Yeah. And you're right about like showing, kind of showing investors we're doing something. If if numbers are flat, like we're doing something, it's kind of a PR stunt. Um, but I think a big story under this umbrella is about the white males <laughs> that are ruling the, the fashion houses right now. There was a, a viral post that went around showing all of... Um, Caring's creative directors, they're all white men. Um, and that was a big conversation, especially when Sarah Burton left McQueen um, and they brought in a white man and it was like, another one. So, I mean, I think that's probably, I mean, obviously she would get it no matter what. But one of the reasons, one of many, that Phoebe Philo got so much buzz, like people are looking for her female point of view that they had gone missing. Um, it's, it's a very distinct point of view, but it is female. Um, and it was exciting. And just like you said, Danny and Sophia, like huge buzz when it first came out, um, first collection since there's been like a, I don't know if it's like first collection B, like I feel like it's a subset of the first collection that's rolled out and there aren't as many sold out styles. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how she retains that buzz and those sales out of that she did out of the gate. But um, there's definitely changing of the guard. And if some more, you mentioned the word diversity, Zofia, if more diversity comes from outside of the houses, that could, I don't know, a, a kind of a power shift we could see. Although the the houses are, I mean, the big conglomerates are, oh, so powerful. <laughs> so anyway, we'll see. Yeah. And th th I mentioned this, uh, uh, that we also saw some creative directors this year who left after like one season or, you know, one or two, like sometimes even less than a year. Um, I think we'll probably see some more of that, but I wonder if if that happens enough, there will be some pushback and like, let's let some of these creative directors have a couple seasons to establish themselves. Um, I would hope so, because I think some of you know, some of the best designers like needed a couple of years to really establish the identity of the brand that they worked at. I mean, Phoebe Philo is a great example when she was at Celine. I think uh, obviously the collections were great right away, but it was only through several years of like establishing this consistent brand identity. Do we get like the, like if you say Phoebe Philo Celine to um, uh, someone who's into fashion, they know exactly the, the vibe and the aesthetic. And that's because she had some time to establish that, you know, so we'll see if maybe that happens, uh, you know, if more brands are comfortable with not giving people the hook after like three months if they don't like what they've come up with. Um, 
Yeah, definitely. Let's move on to our predictions. So I went back and listened to our last end-of-year episode from the end of 2022 and listened to our predictions, and I'm going to see how we did first, and then we'll we'll make some new predictions for next year. Okay, so let's listen to our predictions, and then we'll see how we did. Here, here are my predictions. I predict that Farfetch will this and this is not based on any insider information. I have not heard this rumor or anything. This is purely just my speculation. Um they've just been on an acquisition kind of spree. I feel like they've bought a lot of other like they've bought little tech companies that you haven't heard of, but they've also bought like stadium goods and all this other stuff. I predict that they will buy an an actual luxury brand in 2023. Um I could be totally wrong about that, but I just I feel like I wouldn't be surprised. My other prediction is that I think a fashion brand, I don't know who, will get sued over something involving NFTs. Like I just I've been in the discords for several brands. They're so full of scammy looking stuff. I just I smell a class action lawsuit coming against one of these brands at some point. <laughs> yeah, they were on a big acquisition spree at the time. I was and they had bought New Guards Group and all this other stuff. And I was like, I bet they're just gonna like buy one like a big brand. Um, not quite. Uh, my other prediction was that there would be uh that a fashion brand would be sued over something involving NFTs. So there were sort of there were a lot of lawsuits around NFTs, and there were brands suing each other, like Nike and StockX and stuff. Really, what I meant when I said this though was I was thinking that you know, a brand would have encouraged people to buy their NFTs and then someone who like blew their life savings on it and then it turned out to be worthless would sue them over that. And that didn't quite happen, but it did happen to a bunch of celebrities who endorsed crypto in that period with like the, the Super Bowl ads and everything. A bunch of them have been sued for similar things about like, you know, you advertised this uh, this crypto exchange and I put a bunch of money into it and then it turned out to be like a complete scam and I lost, you know, they had class action lawsuits against them. So it wasn't quite in the fashion world. There were fashion, there were NFT lawsuits in fashion, but they weren't quite the lawsuits I was thinking. And then the lawsuits I was thinking did happen, but not in fashion. So I don't know if we're going to call that one a win or not. And then my, my far-fetched prediction not only did they not buy a fashion brand, well, they bought Net-A-Porter, but that had been announced already. And also, that's not even happening anymore. It got canceled again this morning because Farfetch themselves were bought, and they sold one of their brands, which was Violet Gray. So they kind of did the complete opposite of my prediction, which is I predicted they would buy somebody else, and instead they were bought. Uh, so we'll really call close. that one wrong. It was a good, a good bet. It's, stuff happened with them, which is <laughs> <laughs> sort of what I predicted. Um, you guys had more general predictions, and for that reason, they were much more correct than mine were. Mine were way too specific. And Sophia, here's your prediction. Well, I think for my predictions, it's going to be tied into greenwashing as well. Um, I think that legislation will just have a massive impact on brands. And I think far more than kind of we're um, giving it rise to, all of that, those details haven't been kind of put out. So I think that that's something that's going to affect fashion brands. In terms of greenwashing, there's been yeah a lot of legislation both coming out of the EU but also the UK. Um, there's been a lot of like panels and things that have been um, organised to kind of focus on greenwashing. Um, there's been some brands that have been called out in a big way. Um, I believe that on the beauty side, Unilever has been called out relatively recently. Um, so yeah, I think that 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 was relatively accurate. I'm quite happy with that. Go Sophia. Okay, here's Jill's prediction from last year. 
I just foresee more brands like uh, appealing to or uh, targeting the more budget conscious shopper, whether it's beyond Gen Z, like people are pinching their pennies. Um, I just wrote a story the other day about how JCPenney had their whole holiday strategy was like pre-inflation prices. There, I feel like there was a lot of talk all year um, from brands and retailers that I talked to about uh, being aware that people's purchasing power is affected and trying to find ways to to work with them. So I think you were definitely right about that. I hope so. I feel like I've seen I've seen less precious. Is that a word around um, discounting? I mean, discounts are flying. <laughs> Let's say that. And I think one of the reasons uh, we've talked about um, that skims and even um, I don't know if Kai will take off Kylie Jenner's line, but um, what, they're under um, they're priced lower than competitors. And on top of that, they're a brand that's kind of like cool or they've gained. Um, I don't know, a cool factor. So the fact that they're lower price is that definitely has something to do with skim, for a skims part, um, it's success. So um, I think there should be more talk or, about that personally, but yes. Yeah. Um, cool. Let's say our prediction. So I'm again, going to go very specific here. I'm going to say that, well, I'll be a little, I'll, I'll broaden it a little bit. I think we will see more publicly traded companies like Farfetch going private or selling themselves. Particularly, I one in mind for me is Allbirds, who I feel like have had a really tough year. Um, I can totally see them wanting to go private, even just for a little bit, just to get things under control. As we were saying, you know, get when you're publicly traded, everything you do is scrutinized. And if you if you show a little bit of weakness, investors like go, you know, scurry away like cockroaches. So I think we'll see some more uh companies who are publicly traded go private. That's going to be my prediction. I'll also throw in a, a version of my predictions on NFTs last year. I think we will see a designer or brand accused of using AI to like, or using AI for their designs and end up like intentionally or unintentionally like stealing designs from somebody else because the AI just pulled something that looked just like somebody else's design. That probably happens all the time with like cheap no-name brands, but I'm thinking more uh, someone more prominent that might happen. So that's going to be my other prediction. I I could be totally wrong again this time next year, but we'll see. I love how you're so specific. I need to be more specific. <laughs> what's, what's yours, Joe? I guess mine's kind of high level. Just we've been talking about how, uh, I don't know, travel was hot. Basically experiences over stuff or what people are investing in. Um, and I'm just thinking of my own situation working from home and I'm looking at like a closet full of beautiful clothes thinking, when am I ever going to wear these again? <laughs> ever? I don't know. I, I have no reason to purchase clothes right now unless it's event, an event. And that is basically an experience. But anyway, experience is over stuff. So I just think that more brands will, uh, I mean, if they have the means or they'll figure it out, um, kind of diversify their business model or their revenue stream to do some of the things that we talk about from time to time, whether that's going all in on like a hotel or a restaurant or a, a I don't know, museum type of an experience. I don't know. Offering something, maybe that's just happening in their stores and building it out to something sexier, but um, getting people, finding a way to make money via an experience basically. Yeah, I think that's a great prediction. Zofia, what's yours? Well, I think that on the legislation front and in general, the emissions part, like most brands are kind of going to overshoot quite a lot by 
what their standards are, what their like goals are for those carbon emissions. So I'm, I'm not going to make any predictions there because I think that they're going to fail. Um, but I am going to make a prediction for the Sheenification of fashion, which I think is definitely coming and is going to be the subject of my briefing. Um, it's it's definitely something that I think is happening a lot more where there's such an automation of the supply chain, the like trend predictions aspect, like all of those things that kind of include AI um, to essentially kind of just crystal ball, you know, um, customers' demands or like wishes, try and create them. And then if not, you know, kind of move on to something else. And I think that that definitely deserves some exploring. And I'm sure there's going to be more brands looking at that to, to try and kind of wield that same level of influence. Was smart. And as the social speeds up the trend cycle, more are going to want to move fast anyway. I think you're onto something. Yeah, I think so too. We'll, we'll have to check in in December of 2024 and see how all these predictions did. But until then, um, it is so fun doing the Week in Review with you guys uh, every week. And for all of our listeners, thanks for listening all year to the Week in Review. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or wherever you listen to this, because that helps us out so much. And don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you'll hear interviews with our industry insiders. And you'll also hear Week in Review uh, episodes with the three of us and also predictions and other kinds of crazy stuff and year in review episodes at the end of the year and guest co-hosts and all the other stuff we do on this podcast. So thank you for listening and making this podcast a success. And thank you to my co-hosts for being here. Thank you. Thank you.